continuing our study of divine institutions this morning. We are uh, focusing at this point on volition, the ability to make decisions and to choose to make moral decisions based on right and wrong. We are not simply animals. We are uh, uh, special. Uh, we have, we're designed special. We're created by God special. And so we have an accountability for our decisions and we have the ability to make them. It's one of the things God established. As we live in the culture in which we live, in the world in which we live, everybody's become masters at figuring out everybody else to blame for their decisions. And uh, it's almost become an art form. Who can I, who can I, who can I blame for what I did? Well, what you did, you did. <laughs> and so how, how does the Bible establish that? What does it do? And that's what we've been looking at. First, we looked at the will of God. Now we're going to look at the will of man. We have been looking at it. We're down at point nine in that list. And uh, we're taking our time going through this for a reason. I have, uh, by the way, I have plenty of stuff already done, so I'm not just dragging it out because I don't have anything studied. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's all okay. I just want to be sure that, that we get this because it's so important in the day and age in which we live. So let's take a few moments for prayer to get ourselves ready. Uh, let us decide, if we will, to put away the cares and problems of the world and decide to focus on what God's Word has to say this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so very much for establishing these institutions, revealing them to us so we would know what your directive will is, how you would want us to live, how you want us to understand life, how we are to come about uh, having wisdom from that, those things that you have given us, but always relying on you for the, as the ultimate source. So, Father, I pray this morning that... Uh, as we open up your word, as we look at these points, that uh, indeed we would be enlightened, we'd be challenged, we'd be convicted, and Father, we would live a life that was honoring and pleasing to you, for we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what we have covered so far in the will of, will of man, or the decision-making, is the source, as God himself gave us the ability to to decide. Now, if we look back in, in history, he could have done things a, a thousand million, an infinite number of other ways than the way he chose to do it. But he chose to bring into existence matter, creature, space, and time. And in so doing that, he decided he was gonna, going to make creatures who could love him in return. In order to do that, he had to give them the freedom to choose for or against him. And so he gave us the ability to choose, and with that, opportunities that, uh, that are just amazing. Can you imagine how infinitesimally small we are in comparison to the universe? I mean, as you look out into the heavens and you just realize your own frailty, recognize your own uh, minuteness. I mean, what is there about us? Who is... who? Who am I and what is my house that the Lord should think about us? You know, David pondered that. So the source is the ability of, is God. He gave us the ability to design. Uh, 
He also made us accountable for those decisions. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden as far as human beings are concerned. Adam and Eve were tested, and we learn a lot of things from Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Actually, chapter 1, let us make man in our own image. And so he gave us the ability to choose. He made us accountable. He told Adam, said, see that tree? Don't eat from it. See all these other trees? Eat from them. See that tree? Don't eat from them. What happened when he ate? Well, he fell and got thrown out of the garden. And uh, things kind of went on from there. Did God not know he was going to fall? He can't not know. So he knew. But he, he did this to display that he can make a creature which has the perfect ability to choose. And he'll know exactly what he's going to do anyway. The, there's some biblical vocabulary we've been through. We'll see it more as we go. The freedom to choose, it was for freedom. Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. We see that there are absolute standards for good and bad that God has set up and established. Now, have you noticed we live in a world where there's no such thing as good and bad? Or they're trying to redefine them? Good is what benefits me. Okay, bad is what doesn't benefit me. Okay, there's no, there's no objective moral standard that's a higher code. And they do away with it. That's why they're able to lie, cheat, and steal with total impunity and with no conscience. Their conscience has been seared, as 1 Timothy 4 tells us, as with a, a branding iron. I mean, it's just been seared off where right and wrong don't make any difference. I look at some of the scriptural descriptions of Israel. Through the years, righteousness was trampled in the streets. What's going on now? What's going on all over the world? Things are being twisted and turned in an in a unprecedented way. But there are absolute standards for good and bad. They are established by the one and only absolute God. And he gives us to, give them to us to uh, learn what is right and wrong. Violations of absolute standards... Well, what happens when you violate these standards? Well, there's going to be discipline. Uh, there could be some uh, deserved discipline that comes along with that. But there are violations that we've looked at. Now, salvation through obedience, we looked at last week. Now, this is not obedience to a whole series of commands that is going to get you into heaven. This is obedience to the command to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where the obedience come in. Now, from there on, we should continue to be obedient to God. But that's where it starts. And if that doesn't happen, nobody is saved. We're going to look at some examples, biblical examples, of good decisions and better decisions and the best decisions. You know, God doesn't, didn't design us to be mediocre, did he? I mean, he didn't design us to be normal because the world is normal, but the world is not righteous. <laughs> so he didn't design us to simply be normal in this life. He designed us to be the best. And so he has called us to do that. That is part of our divine calling. Salvation through obedience refers to salvation from the penalty for sin by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ.
He did put it in the form of a command so those that were looking for commands would have something to point to. Also because he said where there's no law, sin is not imputed. So if there wasn't a command to believe, then there wouldn't be any sin involved with not believing. But we know not believing for all of a person's life is the unpardonable sin. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's calling the Holy Spirit a liar about who the, who the Son is. So salvation through obedience, we've covered that. Relative standards, we started to look at last week. And those are things where there is no definitive yes or no. Now, throughout the history of the church especially, well, I, I can't even just give it to the church. Let's go back into Judaism. They had over 600 commands found in the Mosaic Law, and what did they do? They started adding to them. That's called legalism. When you add to the Word of God and make it a spiritual standard, that's, that's what legalism is. So there's over 600 commands found in the Mosaic Law, and what did they do? They started writing volumes of books uh, that added to the commands, and they called them the Traditions of the Elders. And then they got upset with Jesus when his disciples didn't hold to the traditions of the elders. And those were the add-ons that were there. Relative standards, he wants, us, he wants them to stay relative. And he wants us to, to realize that there's, there's a freedom that is, that is out there. And here's where we left off. Lawful versus profitable. Now, the Apostle Paul taught the importance of evaluating decisions under the principle of lawful versus profitable. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 to 14, Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, in my freedom... It lets me be enslaved to something rather than someone, the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm not going to let it rule over me. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. That's going to be saddening for a lot of us who like food so much. But he's going to do away with it. You're not going to have a stomach. Yet the body is not for immorality. But for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. In 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says about the same thing. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything sold in the meat market without questions for conscience's sake. For the earth is the Lord and all it contains. It's talking about meat sacrificed to idols. It had a big taboo going on in it in the, the church because the Jews didn't do that. And a lot of the Jews were the, the, uh, the way the church started to begin with is through uh, the, the Jews saved initially on the day of Pentecost. And so he says, uh, here is this meat offered to idols. It became a very legalistic uh, situation in the early church. He said, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience's sake. That's also one of the, one of the pieces of advice given to missionaries. Whenever you go, whatever's set in front of you, eat. 
And I guarantee you there's some scary things that get set in front of you from time to time. I'll tell you about the okra stew one of these days. Then I love okra and that one. I just did it because I asked for it. And you just after you ask for it and they make it, you can't say, I can't do this. <laughs> Although they were fully expecting me to. But anyway, if anyone should say to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience's sake. I mean, not your conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do. How many times have we heard that verse? Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do. We didn't even hear that part of the verse, did we? Do all things to the glory of God. That's the way the verse ends. So we do all things to the glory of God. He said, you got the freedom to eat, because what is an idol? An idol is nothing. So if it, they offered this meat to nothing... <laughs> Now, what's the deal? So that's Paul. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. The Christian today is no longer under the Mosaic law. With its commands and its penalties, we're under grace. But So in a sense, all things are lawful. But also in a very real sense, see, because Christians often take a verse and they take it out of context and they don't compare Scripture with Scripture. And when you don't compare Scripture with Scripture, you get into mistakes. Because also very real is we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Paul wrote both of those verses. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. He says, we know the law is good if you use it lawfully in the right sense. Realizing... The fact that law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless, rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, immoral men, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So this... This, it, it's good if you use it lawfully. What does it teach? Principles. What's it not doing? It's not establishing a law like it was in the Old Testament. It's valuable. In what way? To identify sin. To identify that which pleases God and that, that which doesn't. And whenever it's properly understood, if one uses it lawfully, concerning moral issues. What is, what is the law about? The example he uses concerns food. And while there were multiple dietary laws starting in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden had dietary laws, didn't it? You see all those trees out there, Adam? The, the real command out of the Hebrew is eat from all of them, except one. That's a dietary code that he established. It wasn't just eat from the ones you like or the ones that look good. See, to be obedient, he had to eat from all of them. Try them all. Okay, but see the one in the middle? Don't eat that. In the day you eat from it, dying you shall die. Now, <clears throat> there were multiple dietary laws. It's lawful to eat anything one chooses. It's what he is, what he is saying. However, if it causes a brother to stumble, then it's not profitable. 
Okay? It's a non-essential. It's something that you don't make issues out of. Uh, he deals with it in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, the abuse of liberty and all that. Because our life is not about what can I gather and accumulate. Our life is what can we basically give away. How can we help other people? How can we love other people? Your value in this life is not how much people love you. In fact, that's scary, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say, be careful if the world loves you? <laughs> because if the world loves you, then uh, you're evidently not much of a model of Christ. Because there are going to be some people that just don't like you. So here is bad to worst. Now, bad choices, if not stopped can proceed to future choices that are worse than the first decision and eventually end in the worst decision. See, bad to worse, they get worse, and then worse, the worst one that can be done. Judas made a bad decision to betray the Lord. That's, that's what he did. It's a bad decision, very clearly. And he went to the chief priest to make an agreement uh, to betray the Lord. Now, Jesus knew all along that Judas was going to betray him. Multiple passages say that as a human, he could read human nature. He knew what was going on. As God, he knew exactly what was going on. So <clears throat> he knew what was going on. He warned Judas, the night of the upper room, woe to that man that betrays me. It would have been better had he not been born. Okay? So there was a warning that went out, but Judas made a worse decision when he decided to go through with it. He made a plan. He started the plan. But when he decided to go through with the plan, it became worse. But truly the worst decision Judas made was his own suicide. That was the worst. Because even that sin was being paid for by Christ on the cross, according to what it says. So Judas started with a bad decision, went to a worse decision decision and then went to the worst decision that translates um, you know translates into this day and time and all different kinds of, you get mad at your brother you get so mad you want to kill him well, that's a bad decision worst, deci worst decisions when you start making plans how to do it well I'm going to lie and wait and wait for them to come along you, you, we saw that all through the Old Testament didn't we the worst decision is when you go through with it so this bad, worse, and worst is very applicable today. What about if a person decides that they're just going to consume all kinds of sugar, live their life consuming sugar? That's a bad decision. We know it's a bad decision, especially processed sugar. Now that's a bad decision. person becomes diabetic and decides not to cut back. Uh, on the processed sugar, those decisions become worse. Do they not? Now, <clears throat> the worst decision is to continue that on and not cut way back, which causes all kinds of problems in the body. That's in a relative issue about diet and dietary code, and we find that they're bad, worse, and worst decisions that can be made. So relatively bad choices are thus evaluated on the basis of the action or lack of action that is taken. Bad choices can be conscious or unconscious with malicious intent or without. 
as prescribed in the parable of the faithful steward that uh, did not know what to do. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we know. That parable in Luke 12, 47 says, And the slave that knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accordance with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who didn't know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. But, few. but from whom much has been given, much shall be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So when we know what to do and don't do it, that's part of the, the bad decisions. That uh, the, uh, the one who knew his master's will, and they get ready for it. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? Well, that's, there's a whole lot of stuff says he's coming back. Are you getting ready? See, the right decision is when, when you hear the trumpet, you go, hallelujah, not manna. What is it? You're praising the Lord. Not, you know, it's going to be a shock. There's no way, there's no way you can avoid the shock when a trumpet sounds. So it's going to shock us to one degree or another. But after that instant of, of oh no, then how do you respond? Praise the Lord? Or what is it? Because a lot of Christians are going to go, what is it? And that's sad. They're not getting ready for the return of the master. Now, <clears throat> every one of us carries a mixture of deserved and undeserved suffering. As we're seeking to live as a Christian and make adjustments in the areas that we fail. Whenever we violate standards, it's, we're open for deserved suffering. Whenever... Um, whenever we don't violate the standards and still suffer it's undeserved suffering and I, I remember a long time ago I was taught boy if you get if you commit a sin get out of fellowship and then whack anything happens to you is divine discipline I'm not sure about that I think it's closer to the the fact that we've got we do things we're living in a fallen world and if we try to overanalyze that stuff it can actually put us in a lockdown put us somewhere we're afraid to come out and meet the world now <clears throat> from good to best now these are a lot better ones to make good choice involves the action or lack thereof see I would consider patience a good choice because the Bible considers patience a good choice what is patience don't do it <laughs> you're calm you're poised, you have patience, you do what you can do, but you, you control the things you can, you accept the things that you cannot, you pray for the, pray for the, <laughs> pray for the best, prepare for the worst, and hope for the best. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what we're looking for. <clears throat> Good choices. Consider the intent behind the choice. We all remember a verse... The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a judge of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when we make good decisions, we need to look at the intentions behind it. Why are we doing it? Now, <coughs> information about what God wants us to do 
is frequently the difference between good and bad decisions. And we're going to discuss those in a little more detail later. Making choices that God desires are called fruit. And we find that all through the New Testament. That'll be rewarded for eternity as part of the inheritance that is given to believers. The <clears throat> First Peter 3 talks about that, verses 8 to 12. Peter writes, to sum it up, he didn't quite get it all summed up there because he got two more chapters that come after this. He says, to sum it up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil, or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Now see, that's learning to think the way God does, not the way we do with sin natures. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. How do you, in the context, how do you inherit a blessing? Harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. That's part of the inheritance of the blessing. Let him who love, means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But, his, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All too frequently, our choices as human beings are made for the passions of the flesh and are more off, most often driven by personal preferences and opinions that are not divine viewpoint. They're not the way that, that God does it. For example, it's a good choice to believe God exists. To believe God exists, that's a good choice. But it's not good enough to partake of the payment for the penalty for sins and be saved. It's not good enough. James 2.19. You believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder is what, what it says. So it's a good choice to believe that God exists. It's a better choice to search the scriptures for the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. But by itself is still not enough to save you. John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. says, you search the scriptures, Jesus talking to the Jews, the Pharisees, because you think in them, in the scriptures, you have eternal life. You think it's the written word that's going to save you. Because you possess the written word that's going to save you. You say, nobody believes that. I sold Bible books door to door for three summers back a long time ago to get money to go to school and go to college. And let me tell you, when I walked out, oh, you're a Bible salesman. And I got shown every Bible in the house. We got Bibles. We got, we got little Bibles. We got big Bibles. And they go get the family Bible off the mantle and blow the dust off of it. And they thought because they had a Bible in the house that saved them. Nope. Won't do it. 
See, it's a better decision. Than it's a step, see, from God exists to search the Scriptures and find out what He's got to say about Him. But it's not enough to save you from the penalty for sin. 39 and 40, but because you search the Scriptures because you think in the Scriptures you have eternal life, but it is these Scriptures that bear witness of me. That's Jesus. And you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life. See the difference? So the best decision is not just to believe that God exists. The best decision is to go a step farther and finally accept Him. That's the best decision. And that's the absolute standard. Because God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. Should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world. But that the world should be saved through him. Isn't that what Jesus came the first time for? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for the many. That's why he came. He who believes in him, it says, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's about as clear a set of verses as you can find anywhere. Go to 336. He who believes in the Son has life. He who does not believe in the Son, the wrath of God abides on him. That's pretty black and white. That's pretty clear. That's pretty absolute, is it not? It's stated in a dogmatic, absolute way. So it's good to believe that God exists. Okay? That's a step. <laughs> but it's not enough to save. It's good to search the scriptures and be a student of the Bible. Not enough to save. It requires faith in the only one that can. That is the best decision. Now, the sin of judging. The sin of judging, Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Boy, this is a good one. <clears throat> Do not judge lest you be judged. Back in the 90s, this became the most known verse in all of the scriptures. Some of you can connect the dots with what was going on back in the 90s. But that was, uh, became better known than John 3.16. Judge not lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, <clears throat> we often judge the choices of other people. Whether they're good or bad, based on our own standards. But the question is, what are God's standards? Then you can make a decision whether or not they're good or bad. Right now, a lot of the church has adopted this. Don't judge anybody for anything, anywhere, anytime. And therefore, if you're not going to judge anybody, anywhere, anything, for anything, anytime, then what you're going to have is people that can do anything, anywhere, anytime, and with no accountability to it. That's a problem. Because... <clears throat> If our standards do not align with divine standards, then our judging is sinful, right? Matthew 7. That's what it's talking about. In the absolute standards, though, when defined by the Word of God, we're called upon to judge. Same word, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Does any of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know the saints will judge the world? 
If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? And what more? how much more matters of this life? He's saying when there's an issue, like there's an issue between believers concerning money or a transaction or something like that, why are you going to a secular law court? Can't you come to the, to the church, the body of Christ, and say, can you make a decision on what's right and what's wrong? I've seen this done only once since I've been a pastor. And it was over a financial transaction, if you will. It was a lot more detail, a lot more in-depth, a lot more involved in that. And I think the parties all tried to make a good, reasonable decision and was all said and done. The one that was ruled against brought suit in a, in a secular court. Took them a year to go through this. But <clears throat> to, to, we are called to make decisions. You're called to jury duty. Then you want to make decisions based on the Almighty's righteous law first. And then you look at the what the law is in front of you, and whether or not can be should, whether or not they violated that law. The sin of judging, and say it's not to sit in the court. That's not that's not the sin. See, this is when you start judging thoughts, intents, and actions of other people, and you're not in their head. As a pastor, some of the hardest things for us to learn, because when we get out of seminary, I'll tell you real fast, we know everything. I heard one pastor say one time, you should have asked me 20 years ago. <laughs> I'd have had an answer for you. I could have figured it all out. I'd have had a perfect answer for you. But as you see, people face life situations. You look at it and go, I wouldn't do it that way. But did God make a direct statement about it, whether it's right or wrong? If he did not, we have freedom to make decisions. And again, there, there are bad, worse, and worse decisions. And there are good, better, and best decisions. So what decisions are they? This frequently comes up about medical issues. Should, should we do this? Should we not do this? Should we do this? Should we not do this? What should we do? I, I don't make decisions like that for people. They need to pray about it. I'll pray with them. We'll all pray together about it. And seek the wisdom that comes from God as to the best decision. That's, that's what I believe we should do. I, I don't see a formula for these things. I started out to be a chemical engineer. I didn't make it. David made it. So he knows what I'm talking about. Engineers. And if you're uh, any type of engineer, you like formulas. You like Each believer is a result of all the choices, good and bad, they have made during this life. And one of the great things about being a believer 
is if you make the best choice We've defined his sovereign and overruling will. Okay, his sovereign will is the things that he makes as a king. His overruling will is when he intervenes in history, like, a, like the, the Red Sea crossing. And we also find his directive will. His directive will tells us what he wants us to do. Okay, what is right, what is wrong based on God's standards. Now, his divine standards are righteous standards. His, the worldly standards are unrighteous standards. Occasionally, the world aligns with the divine standards, and that's what it should be. That's what Israel was called to do, was to align themselves with the divine standards and thus have a theocracy. That's what you want, God ruling your nation. Now... <clears throat> His directive will, again, is what does he want me to do? His perfect will, that's when I'm doing it right. Okay? That's when I've got his divine standards in my life. I've got his directive will in my life, and I'm applying those. I'm living the Christian life. The permissive will we put in there that covers a whole lot of things. Permissive will may not be unrighteous all by itself. But the worldly standards by themselves are unrighteous. So permissive will is where we get the, uh, where we get the, the freedom of choice, if you will. Now, all this goes into the plan of God that we've been studying uh, with prophecy. He's laid out the end from the beginning. He has seen it all. And as we see this volition established by the Almighty, then in these different aspects of his will, he has, he has told us this is how it's all going to play out. Now, <clears throat> we have the freedom. That V is volition. We can choose for the plan of God and get on the right side of history or negative volition, which is to choose against the will of God. Now, whenever we obey his absolutes and we suffer for it, that suffering is undeserved suffering. Whenever we disobey his absolutes down there on the bottom line, you can see, then that's deserved discipline. What comes our way is deserved discipline. That's, that's what happens. Now, it may not be immediate. I know some people that like to test God. I'm going to go do something bad just to see what happens to me. That's not wise. He is patient. He is long-suffering. And he's raised a bunch of... And he's, there's a bunch of stupid kids out there that he's trying to keep from killing themselves in the process. So here is deserved discipline for disobeying the absolutes. Now, <clears throat> up in the upper line, the upper chamber, if you will, in his perfect will. As a Christian, when you obey the absolutes, which you believe in the Lord Jesus, the penalty for sin is removed. It's gone. You're forever saved. That's wonderful to know. But the power of sin is still, pleasant, is still present. And it's down there in the permissive will. Is it God's will that any should sin? 
No. First John 2, 1 and 2. My children, I'm writing these things that you may not sin. That's after 1 John 1, 9. Two verses later, it says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This power of sin is going to be present in this body until the trumpet sounds or we take our last breath. That's, that's the facts of the matter. So we're doing battle with the power of sin. Now, there's some relative issues. And in these relative issues, we're either going to test God, or we're going to, excuse me, we're going to trust God out of testing, or we're going to trust the world, which is temptation. I've told you many times before, the Greek words translated test and tempt are the same words. The context has to determine the meaning of them. To test means it's a testing for approval. The same type word used for uh, assayers who are testing the quality of gold and silver and whatever. They are testing for approval. Whereas the temptation is a test to do the wrong thing led by Satan. All the way back into the garden. But any set of circumstances that we look at is a test and a temptation. It is. Now, <clears throat> hopefully the more we grow up spiritually the weaker the temptation becomes in our life, but it's still there. The testing to do the right thing. See, when we have our senses trained to discern good and evil, that training comes from consistently doing the right thing, consistently making the right decisions. That's the Hebrews chapter 5 passage. Now, what are some relative issues? Vocation. I don't find anywhere in the scripture that tells you absolutely that this is the course of your life and you need to follow it. Do you pray about it? Yeah. Do you ask for wisdom? Yeah. Do you listen to input? Yeah, you do. But I don't find that your vocation is your choice. You can choose which direction to go in your life. Hygiene. Watching an old Jeopardy the other day, I said, What was a traditional night for taking a bath and going partying? Saturday. And so you're looking at that and you go, Hygiene. In this society and culture, a lot of people think, Well, you need to take a shower every day, or maybe two. What's right, what's wrong? There isn't one. Don't smell and offend your brother. See, that, that's a simple application. If things start, get, start getting aromatic, get some help. <laughs> and, and don't try to cover it up with perfume and incense. That's just not a, not a good thing. Hygiene, diet. You can choose that which is best, that which is not so good. You can, they say, use a balanced diet. We know now because we know more than we did in the past that there's certain things that are a lot better for us to eat than other things. That's not that we can't eat the other things, but we should maintain the quantities in a way that will let us um, stay as healthy as possible. Clothing. If you want to wear a red sock and a blue sock at the same time, you're free to do that. You are free to do that. It looks kind of weird, but occasionally you see that. But that's clothing. How about shelter? Is there anything in the scripture that tells you where to live? What, what type of, of uh, structure that you're supposed to live in? 
seemed like some of the great believers lived in tents as I recall lived in caves so somehow and it's interesting because people even within the church get judged on the quality of their living quarters it's, that's not the way it should be I know people that, that early on it's not as bad now as it was maybe it's a little too relaxed and loose now but I know at one time whenever you went to church you put your best clothes on you put your best clothes on I, I didn't get to go to church as a kid with cutoffs in a t-shirt didn't work couldn't do that you put them on and you hated those collars and everything else but you still uh, did that it, it, it had become a legalism then it kind of went the other way that if you dress up you're weird economics who what you invest in do you invest how do you spend your money as I counsel young people getting married one of the, the biggest problems in the marriage is money and part of that big problem in the marriage is what do you do with the money you got left over okay do you, do, do you buy CDs with it if you buy CDs do you buy country and western or classical I mean what I mean it's all a matter of freedom preferences there are a lot of things we prefer but they're relative issues and then how about politics boy that's divisive isn't it but this is what the plan of God is about 1 Corinthians 6.12 this relative issues all things are lawful but not all things are profitable so this plan of God is totally amazing and we learn that in here also on the chart is the bad worse and worse decisions that we can make and the good better and best decisions that we can make I need to move that animation up earlier that should have been in there earlier and then let's not forget intents the thoughts and the intents of the heart are speech the things that build up one another or tear down one another in our actions those are relative relative issues so we have the plan of God and you know the God we serve has got this all accounted for all of the good decisions all the bad decisions all the functioning and permissive will which is running rampant throughout the world today very few people are walking in the light as he is in the light very few people are walking in a manner worthy of their calling very few people even and fewer people are even caring if they do or not so <clears throat> God's plan is accounted for it I, I don't know why I hadn't come back yet but if he wants us here it's for a reason and I believe the reason is he wants some more people that hear the trumpet and be caught up together with us in the clouds of the sky I think so he came to seek and save that which was lost and when he went to the right hand of the father he left us with that admonition we need to pay, pay very careful attention to it that's part of how we're ready when the master returns we're doing what we should be doing let's pray thank you father again for your matchless grace thank you for your amazing plan thank you for including us in it we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. We wonder, indeed, how he, how he could love us, how you could love us 
We are sinners condemned and unclean. Father, what a blessing you have given us, eternal life with you forevermore. No more death, sorrow, pain, those old things have passed away because new things have come. We look forward to that. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.